it has become very clear to me that I have to be constantly paying attention to what the artist within me has to say and not put the, you know, the artist within me in service of, for example, my business or anything else. Actually, it's the other way around for me. For me is, okay, what do I need to do to support the artist within me? And when we shift the lens, things change. I'm Julie Clare, and this is the podcast, Creative at the Wheel. Artists and creative professionals thrive in unconventionality. They reinvent themselves and find their way through impossible situations. Here, we get to have deep dive conversations on their adventures. Let's jump in. Today, my guest is Fatime Banishoy, a global leader, a poet, and a highly trained scientist. Um, Fatime defines herself as heartist, whose passion is to heal people and systems. She is the founder of Renew Business, a collective creative laboratory that guides visionary leaders and organizations to create work culture like a piece of art so that they can tr- transform into inclusive, innovative communities. Uh, Fatime's books include The Whisper, The Poetry of Leadership, and Freevolution. I think I said that right. And I've been spending really a lot of time, Fatime, with your work. I'm so delighted to have you here. Welcome. Hi, Julie. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and, uh, and an honor. Uh, I feel a little bit like naked uh, knowing that you have uh, been with my work. And uh, thank you for doing that. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm naked too. So let's just have a little fun. Um, I really, really wanted to meet you in this way. I loved your TED Talk video. Um, I just felt your presence. I feel your presence on stage uh, is so real and so strong. And I'm just so glad I have this time. That I want to give people a sense of who you are um, because this is what I first um, found out about you that first um, opened up all my, you know, my questions was... Um, well, basically shedding some light on your journey from being, you used to be, or you are a PhD chemist, fully engaged, fully employed, high level, big time chemist to a heartist, yeah, healing people and systems, focusing on transformation. Um, to me, that shift is big. I just want to start there to get some sense of what your life is like, where you've been. So what can you tell us about that transformation? Who were you as a chemist? You know? Um, maybe I'll try to answer. Probably it will sound a little bit indirect, but I'll, I'll start a little bit earlier. So a little bit before I became a scientist. Um, as a kid, I was a highly artistic and creative child, most probably like uh, every other kid <laughs> on the block. Um, I spent my days drawing, writing poems, even though I did not know what poetry was at that age, and making uh, medicines, as I call them, as soon as someone would say I have a headache or I have a little cut on, on my finger. And when asked, what do you want to be uh, when you grow up? I always answered, a designer, a poet, and a crazy scientist. 
And in my child's mind, there were no limitations. Why I had to choose one when, when I could actually be all three of them? Of course, my parents uh, didn't see it in the same way, and uh, they talked me out the art part and telling me that, of course, art is not uh, a job, it's not work, it's just a hobby, so I had to become uh, sensible and responsible and choose something else. So that's actually when I uh, forgot uh, I could write, I forgot I could paint, I forgot I could draw and uh, put all of me into, into science, all of me into, into chemistry and follow this desire. I wanted to cure people. So I got a master in pharmaceutical chemistry, a PhD in organic chemistry, and I started working very young um, in, the pharma, in the pharma companies. So, How young were you, Fatima, when you were doing that? It, well, I started very early, so I was 25, mm-hmm. uh, immediately after, uh, you know, my degrees. And um, started, of course, in R&D uh, with my background, then moved into, into quality, uh, moved into operations, manufacturing, up uh, to strategy. So I kind of had the luxury of understanding really back to back how an organization works. But at a certain point in my life, something broke and I started writing poems again. Actually, I The Whisper was um, written in uh, 2014. And it came out as a flow of poems um, all at once. When I read back all I'd written, I could actually no longer deny that there was this artistic flow within me. And as I start asking my mom, like, mom, did I ever written poetry? She was actually surprised that I'd forgotten that as a child, I wanted to be a poet. This to say that that's, see, a, that to me is amazing right there. Just that it yeah. is a scary of all you know the, how our belief system conditions us to believe things which are actually not true. Up until that moment in which my mother told me, like, what are you talking about? Why do you do not remember? I actually was convinced that I never written poetry in my life. So I literally forgot everything. Yet, that poetry did not forget me. (laughs) That poetry was still alive within me. Fatima, I have to interrupt you. You know what? I I just, I'm going to insert something, even though it's about myself, which is not what I talk about here. But... I remember asking my mother, because I do intuitive painting and things like, I didn't draw much when I was growing up. And she looked at me and she said, oh, yes, you're a good drawer. And I just have to put that in, like, what is that forgetting or what is that remembering? Or when you say the poetry didn't forget you, right? So it was there for you. Yeah. Wow. It it, it was there. Um, It's always been there. 
has carried me through. And of course, I had to reconcile in my mind what poetry and chemistry have in common, because up until that point, I believed I was a scientist and, uh, and just a scientist. And, um, and actually, as I looked closer, uh, chemistry and poetry are not that different in the sense that uh, we are talking about alchemy, meaning transforming the elements, transforming the emotions, transforming the raw material into something else. And that's the work. That totally makes sense to me, actually, when you say that. Um, But I'm wondering how much of... uh, how much difficulty you had making that shift? Like it was, was it a breakdown, breakthrough moment or was it pretty gentle and pretty easy or was it a things falling apart? You know, what, what necessitated that remembering, do you think? Uh, well, if you allow me, I'll actually read uh, almost like the dedication. It's not even a poem of the, of the whisper, which might answer your question right now. Great. Broken hearts have holes for the light to shine through. Broken hearts have windows for the birds to come and sing. Broken hearts have cracks for beautiful views. Broken hearts have openness to grow. There is, to me, when we, when we go through a change, through a shift or when we start seeing the world or ourselves in, um, in different ways, when we start seeing differently, there is an opening happening. happening. And most of the time, this is an opening uh, of the heart, which some might refer to as a heartbreak, some others as a breakthrough, some others a breakdown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but there is an opening and there is the famous quote that says that through the cracks that the light gets in. Well, I also believe that is how the light gets out. So how the parts of ourselves which we have relegated in the dark, shine through. They are brought back into the highlight. They are integrated into the light so that we can become whole. So to go back to your questions, um, there was an openness that allowed my the poetry within me to come out. And once I saw that, once I started hearing poetry all around me, um, all I wanted to do it was not live anymore under a label of a scientist or the executive or the poet, but trying to do my best to integrate them all. Did it show up first? With your poems, did it show up first as an emotion, like despair, and then the poetry came from the emotion? I just started writing poems. Oh, I mean, yeah. I have a very, I started writing poems and I couldn't stop anymore. Oh. And I did not know from where they were coming. I, uh, and I start pouring out of me, almost like they were silent and dormant. And the only thing I had to do Actually, they were not silent. They were a whisper. And the only thing I had to do was listen. At a certain point, I could hear. 
And once I heard, I had to write them down, of course. Uh, at first, I didn't believe I, w- I was the one that wrote them, <laughs> still, the whole habits. Uh, but then when I saw it, my work became, uh, how do I make possible for me to be all of who I am? And can this help others? And can this help others? This, so that's very beautiful. And the book, uh, The Whisper, or Whisper, The Whisper, okay, The Whisper, was that a big deal for you to publish it and put it out? Was that like an identity breaker? Was that, was that like a coming out process or was it um, not so dramatic? No, uh, it wasn't a coming out mm-hmm. because I actually, actually was a remembering, but mm-hmm. not a coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me a while to realize what actually I had written uh, I wrote the whisper as a, a flow um, all at once. And uh, it took me a couple of years, actually, for me to realize I had written a, a book of poems. And um, once I realized that, uh, it was clear to me that uh, it wanted to see the light. It wasn't about me, but it was about uh, the poems. It wasn't about the poet. It was about the poems that had to see the light. Beautiful. The, it's, when I read the book, and I've gone through it twice, um, it's funny. It's very, it, I mean, it's very absorbing. It's hard to put down once I start. But it's also, it does speak to that in me. So when you say it's not about the poet, um, it's about what's being said and shared and opened up there. It does feel like um, ground is opening up that people can be with, well, I can be with my own um, kind of inner poet as I read it. Um, so there is an opening. I feel the opening in the whisper. And Thank you. yeah, Thank you. I, I can. And um, how obvious was that for you to bring that? I know you said you also wanted to help others to make that your work. Because there's some people who like to keep that kind of separate, right? They have their art life and then they have their work life. And for you, like you said, you wanted to be all of you, right? How could you live all of you? What was that like to say, you know what, this is going to be my work? You know, it's, it's exactly the same as when I was a child, that I said I wanted to be a designer, a poet, and a, and a crazy scientist. I didn't think through. That's, uh, that's who I was, who I am. Uh, so it sounded, and it might be different for someone, but actually went back and went closer to what I've, I've always known. So to me it was like, <laughs> what else? Once I remembered, what else? <laughs> like what else could you do? Well, exactly. It was so obvious. And then I suddenly remember everything. I suddenly remembered that as a kid, that's what I was always answering when people asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so I said, well, I knew it. Now that I remembered, (laughs) now that I finally remembered, what else? 
So would you say the greatest challenge was in you? Um, it took a couple of years uh, from the the flow kind of download or whatever you want to say that of the whisper to really getting it, uh, all of what was showing up there for you. Do you think the bigger challenge was breaking through into that memory? And once you knew it wasn't so hard for you to make the change professionally, or what, what would you say the biggest challenge was or the biggest, what, what took the most courage? Uh. I don't think that it was a single event Mm -hmm. and I actually don't um, see the fact of publishing a book or changing my career path as a courageous act. I always say that the whisper had courage to dictate those words to my hands and the only thing I had to do was listen and write them down. Would you Uh, say it was an act of trust, Fatima? Mm, at that time, I wasn't conscious uh, yeah. of that conscious when I wrote them down. Yeah. Um, of course, I had to become the person who could speak the whisper, of course. But that has to do with devotion. That has to do with commitment. That has to do with attention. That has to do with care. Um, the one who had courage was the whisper. <laughs> The one wow. that courage was poetry to remain alive all those years as I forgot um, that there was poetry within me or that there was a poet within me. And um, then I, just to, you know, to, to bow to that courage with my commitment and devotion to become the person who could actually speak and mature. So to, to become that woman who could speak the whisper. What's it like to speak the whisper to professional organizations, to people who want to make money? I mean, what? Um, well, you know, I think that this uh, making money is just an excuse because every single person who I've met uh, welcomed the whisper um, as connected in some ways to to the heart, to their heart, to my heart, to the heart of poetry, and approach to um, business challenges from a very different perspective. So I think that sometimes when we say, but what's the business case uh, for this or for that? What is the value of this or that? Mm -hmm. It's just an excuse because we haven't committed yet. To, to something. And most probably that something is our heart or our art, which is to me is exactly the same. But I have to be honest, um, I don't sell or market or advertise what I do. What I do is share. And who has ears to listen will respond back in some ways. So every time I'm invited to speak or to do work with an organization or with an individual, uh, I'm already in somehow, of course, I have to show up with all my heart and with that hopeness, but they have already resonated with something which is specific to their context, which is specific to their journey. So I don't meet resistance. Because That's amazing, really. I, I, I don't hear you doing the whole return on investment. Uh, you know, I, it sounds like your path is sharing 
And I, I, it makes more sense having seen your videos to how you speak. Um, what is this? Um, do you think that they're hearing about, I, I'm struck by the words commitment and devotion, by the way. I mean, that completely, you know, that, those are the big words right now for me in this moment as you speak. So commitment and devotion. And, you know, this idea that it's our commitment to the artist within um, that brings our well-being um, I know that's your basic, that's a really core part of the message. How is that for you now that you wrote the whisper? You said, I think it came through in 2014. Yeah. How is your sense of well-being still really connected to that um, commitment to your, your artist, your inner artist? How do you see that now? Well... I see us as beings and organizations are not different than uh, just, you know, many beings working on the same, on the same missions. Organizations for me are alive, are beings. I don't see, mm, you know, well-being as something that has to do only with the mental or only with the physical or only with the spiritual or I don't see the silos. I see actually a whole being that needs to be nurtured, taken care, accepted and loved in all, in all facets. And of course, the work starts with self before we can help uh, or we can uh, uh, support anyone. So it has become very clear to me that I have to be constantly paying attention to what the artist within me has to say hmm. mm-hmm. and not put the, you know, the artist within me in service of, for example, my business or anything else. Actually, it's the other way around for me. For me is, okay, what do I need to do business-wise or in a spiritual spiritual way or in a physical way to support the artist within me? And when we shift the lens, things change in a very mm, mm, expansive way. Because if we approach to the well-being of an individual or of an organization just as a task to do, so I need to exercise, I need to meditate, well, it sounds to me a little bit extractive. I'm extracting value from something in hope that I'll have a return of investment. While for me, well-being is a little bit different. And we asked you know, to, to do the parts, uh, to the facets within ourselves, the artist, maybe the lawyer, maybe the business executive, all that makes us all. What do you need? What do you need at physical level? What do you need at spiritual level? What do you need at mental level? What do you need at emotional level? We don't. Mm-hmm. So, and, and for me, the well-being starts by nurturing and evoking, listening, paying attention to the artists within. Well, that's so beautiful. The first thing I think of because of the work that I'm involved in uh, helping others, you know, unfold their creative creativity along with my own is what you're saying to me would also prevent burnout. Mm. 
Because to me, burnout, I mean, it happens for a lot of different reasons. But one of them is we kind of use our, in the arts anyway, in the work I do, it's easy to burn out because I can use my art for my business, kind of what you're saying, versus how can my business support, help, encourage my artist, right? Mm -hmm. That's a pretty big shift. Yes, it's uh, it's uh, shifting a model, a model of an assembly line. It is shifting from an assembly line. What's your vision of what it shifts it to? Uh, I don't know in what um, might fully expand because it's not a journey of uh, a single person. It's a collective. Um, mm-hmm. It's a collective journey. And I don't think any any one of us knows uh, what that would look like. Uh, however, I have you know dreams. <laughs> I have dreams um, that what it is, and this is the, actually the question I ask myself every single mm-hmm. time I sit at my desk to do any of the work I do. What it is actually to uh, create a model, create a, a, a solve a problem from the point of view of an artist. So what it is to create a business model that actually in service of the artist within or what it is actually to because after all when we think when we talk about business we have to talk about realizing people's dreams mm-hmm. otherwise we have no reason to have business and uh, um so if no one is dreaming how can we claim that we are you know we want to fulfill someone else's dream and i don't think uh, and we dream, so that, that dream-like feeling, sensation, or place as the artist place. And then we go create things to fulfill that dream. That is not the other way around. That's the assembly line model, which we currently operate. So I would like to see a dream house, a business as a dream house. So I would be a business that is around... Um, helping people fulfill their dreams. And uh, so to be able to do that, we will have to be dreaming. Well, you can call it visioning, you can call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wouldn't be talking about um, performance in the way we talk now, because the way we talk about performance is tied to the modus operandi of an assembly line. Right. How does it, do you ever get requested to like, but how do we, you know, nuts and bolts, how do we connect dreaming to getting the product made or to getting this team to work? Um, Well, I don't like to answer the question how, mm -hmm. because I think that's a shortcut Mm -hmm. or trying to outsmart the system. So it's another way actually to extract value from art or creativity using them as a tool. Mm-hmm. Um, in service of a, an, uh, an updated and obsolete business model, uh, I like actually to to flip this and ask a different question: What it is the practice that I need to establish for myself? And this will be also the the, the question when I'm asked to facilitate for organization how they can get there. Okay, let's look at what practices. 
um, serve you as individual and as an organization that put you in a state of dreaming? It's a very different question. Wow, I love that shift. Absolutely, it's a different question. What are the questions that come to you from people when you're speaking about this? What kind of questions do you need to field or answer? Well, the, the first question that everybody asks me is like, but how do you bring poetry into organization? That's always, always. And then uh, to which I answer, uh, like, why not? <laughs> why, why not? So don't, again, don't ask me how, but ask me why yes and why not? Uh, or what if um, we all would do that? Or what if? Uh, we would start the meeting with um, creating a, a, a team poem, something like that. And the other question that people really ask me, and you have asked me that, is what business or leadership and how art or poetry have in common? Mm-hmm. And it's a lot. Actually, it is. It is a lot. Um, and usually when people ask that, is because there is a, um, an artist within them that is already awakening, so they are trying to find a way to integrate or reintegrate that, uh, not just as a simple hobby, but really as a, as a practice. And uh, so when we go into what I call um, an artful learning, an mm-hmm. artful practice, then we discover what is peculiar to an individual, what is peculiar to an organization. Because what it is for me, what it is true for me, might be very different for you. And I'm not interested in uh, giving anyone, mm, you know, a recipe, do this and do that. I'm more curious to explore what we could learn together. Um, what could you learn uh, about uh, if you start listening to the artist within uh, and how by doing that, uh, we change what we do, which involves me. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the typical consultant or mm-hmm. mentor that goes and tells, okay, do this and you're set. I'm, I, I like to learn. So it's also shifting, um, you know, the, 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 the dialogue in a sense that we are here together to learn about um, how we work together because we will have to work together if we want to change something. What, what do you, I get it for sure. It, and I, the shift in um, conversation is big here. Um, what, what do you, what do people, what are they most grateful for after you speak when they share what they received? What, what do they tell you? Um, well, they tell me various things. Um, most of them get very emotional because suddenly, as I did suddenly remember, you know, the poet within me, they then they remember the artist within themselves. And that's a very emotional moment. Do you have CEOs getting emotional with you? Of course. Of course. I mean, CEOs are humans too. They are not a rare species <laughs> that doesn't have, you know, uh, tears. Um, they are human too. I, I think that there is a lot. And, you know, it's, um, it's a trap. It's a kind of trap because, of course, we have made 
the legend of the CEO, of the leader, of the executive that is tough, strong, so this very patriarchal and masculine uh, persona. And uh, um, we complain about that, but whoever is in that position is also trapped in that position because just imagine a person that can never show softness um, because otherwise soft, actually softness is misunderstood as weakness. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we unpack those myths and legends, people start feeling free again, free to show up for who they are, free to express or learn how to express their emotions in a way that is uh, um, not shaming. And, uh, and and that's very freeing. So, of course, people get emotional. Yeah, I'd be one of those people crying if I wasn't in my current life, you know, if I was working and remembering. Um, uh, well, I cry too. <laughs> yeah. I the, cry too in the process. And I'm like, if I, I, if I feel that I have to cry, there is nothing wrong or nothing shameful about it. I also hear that the way you are putting this out, that there is a resonance. So you are not convincing people. You are not, uh, you know, uh, knocking down doors, trying to be understood. There is um, a meeting, it feels like, between people who are saying, hey, we're interested in your message and you showing up and sharing. Right? I mean, it, it, that, that makes sense to me. Um, and I, I, I want to read this. So, so much um, of our culture, at least here in this country, but I think in a lot of the Western countries, and I'd have to look at how much of civilization right now is so much about more, um, never enough productivity. How do we get more productive, more efficient? Um, And there's a quote, um, I think it's from The Whisper, your book, and it says, um, and I want to read it. And I'm curious what you would say to it right now in this moment of where we are in time and organizations and life about what we need to tend to here, how we need to maybe respond differently than we are with all this kind of forward movement um, fixation. This, the quote is this, there is a drumbeat for women to lean in, do more, be stronger. What about the whisper inside of us? What if instead of leaning in, you learn how to lean back? and listen to the voice within. Just love that quote. What does that bring up for you today when you hear that? Well, it brings back the memory uh, of when, for the first time, I actually uh, recited this poem publicly and what uh, that meant for me. So I actually became public about (laughs) and. um, and this actually is a, um, the ending of that poem, which is Lean Back. Um, and I do remember exactly the moment in which um, I've written these lines that I'll read and then I'll share. You are not a woman in business. You are a woman whose business needs to become working in a new way. So as I lean back, and listen to the whisper, those were the lines that came out. Mm-hmm. You are not a woman in business. You are a woman whose business needs to become working in a new way. Oh. Yes. And so I just had to bow and find out what that meant. 
what working in a new way actually means for me and for others and devote myself, commit myself to that. And that, of course, is always shaping and evolving. It's not static. That's what I was wondering about is how that is moving for you right now. You've been in this dialogue for some years now, not, what would you say, about five years, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And how is this evolving and shifting for you, being in this conversation? It brings me closer and closer um, to to the artist within and not to use art, but actually practice art. Uh, It brings me closer to the concept that I'm not the teacher and I'm not the master. I'm not here to tell anyone what to do, but art is. Art is the master. And I'm a practitioner of of art. Uh, It's brought me closer to the clarity that is not about talking about art, sorry for the, mm-hmm. uh, for the language, but it is really talking from the artist or from the heart, which to me is exactly the same thing, expressing that. When you, with your own art life, how much of it is poetry? How much of it is painting or drawing or? It's, I don't know. I never, I never paused um, to to assess that. I, I, I mean, just uh, uh, lean back and listen to to that. And if I feel that my hands want to paint, I paint. Or um, if I catch a word, if I hear a word, and a poem wants to come out, I, I will write. Um, I think that, um, and I don't know, I actually don't think this is unique to me, but we have mm-hmm. um, different art practices that respond to different contexts or different situations or moments of our life. And um, right now, actually, I'm painting a lot. Um, I feel like I've said all the words I could say. And uh, um, I'm uh, exploring the colors, the textures, and how they blend and uh, what happens in a very intuitive way. And this might change again. The only thing I know for sure is that I cannot sing. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. But do you ever get ambitious with your art, given that it's so much about the heart, yeah? And being true to yourself? Do you feel ambitions coming in there? Like, oh, I'd like to have a show. Um, I'd like to sell my work. I'd like to develop in this way or get a style or does any of that come in? Well, I'll share something. It might surprise you. Actually, of course, uh, in, you know, in my tagline, I've written, I'm a poet, I'm an artist, but Still today, despite you know my devotion to art and uh, as you said before, the transformation of my professional path, mm-hmm. uh, there is 
this um, shyness. I don't even know how to to express it, to say when people ask me, what do you do? To say, I'm an artist. Um, for different reasons. Um, of course, there is my inner judge that would say, you are an artist, you even didn't go to art school. <laughs> <laughs> I, still, I still hear that voice. I still hear the voice. What are you talking about? You're not a poet. You are a chemist. I hear, I hear those voices. Uh, and as I hear them, I listen to them and I make art regardless. Not because... I need to publish a book, not because I need to have a show, but because it's my, is a biological necessity to keep me alive. Well, that's and, so beautiful. Um, I feel like you're speaking to so much. It's like the center of the work I do with other people, but I'm I'm also very interested for myself is that the voice that remains, you can call it the critic, you know, the judge, whatever, but the um, the one that says, yeah, I'm a chemist. I'm not an artist. I'm not a painter. I didn't learn how to paint. Look, you, you know, you haven't. I love how you speak of that because I've never seen that actually totally go away for anybody. I've never seen that. And I've worked with so many hundreds of people on this. And so when you speak it, I just smile. And you speak, you speak the journey, yeah, that we live with it. And you go back to your art. And you're saying the motivations are clear. Um, it's, you do it because it's biologically necessary, right? I have to. Um, have you found yourself in the last five years going through really dry periods? Have you questioned them? Or has it been part of the, the cycle of creativity? Or have you been pretty much active in some way the whole time? You know, it's like breathing and eating. It's mm. like it's all it's uh, as little as it can be there. Uh, I will always, and I've been always drawing, painting, writing, composing, always dancing, uh, always. Um, is when I say that it's a biological. Um, necessity I also mean that okay sometimes might be difficult for example to breathe or we might feel that we don't want to eat regardless we nurture ourselves a little bit because we know that we have to keep ourselves alive and for me it's the same art hmm. uh, it's exactly the same I, I so it's like yes I understand rationally uh, what you're asking me, but a part of me is also saying, what do you mean? So if I don't feel like I can breathe properly, I don't breathe. No, I, I still breathe. And maybe I try to figure it out how I, can, how I can breathe better. And for me, it's like practicing art is exactly the same thing. Uh, um, yes, there are days in, in which, um, you know, I might write awful things or uh, I might paint <laughs> something which is a disgrace for humanity and still but I don't think because if we write only to to publish a book or only to write a number of words on a, on a white page well that feels dry to me uh, did you say dry Fatima? yeah dry in the sense mm -hmm. that I I don't feel invited to practice art if I have a goal there. 
So it's again, it's like, okay, then if I have to write, because I have to write uh, 2,000 pages or 800 uh, words, I don't feel invited in. But if I show up to write because it's a necessity, as breathing or eating is, then I might write something, I might write 800 words or 20 or 2,000, who knows, I don't know. They might be good or not. I don't care. You know, again, I hear the words devotion and commitment when I hear you. Um, You know, that to me is, I mean, when I hear that, I hear that's that's devotion. That's not saying, hmm, gosh, do I feel like today? Mm, Do I feel like I have to? It's like, well, it's like, this is is my love. This is my heart. So I'm going to come in and see what happens today. Um, but I hear it's not like you're always on fire, right? With the words or the paint, but that there is some kind of, um, I don't know. I hear the commitment that this is, this is who I am. Yeah. Yeah. This is who I am. And this is uh, who we all are. You know, I, I might say something that is not very popular, but I never believed in the fact that we have to, you know, uh, have a challenge uh, set up for a challenge to write or to paint or write, I don't know, 800 words every day if we want to finish a novel. Uh, well, we can do it as well. But again, it's an assembly line model. It's a productivity-based art. So art in service of a product and uh, I don't feel and think in those ways. I don't feel that I'm actually inviting the artist within me to uh, to express herself, uh, thinking or approaching to art in this way. I prefer to invite the artist in to almost like when we invite um, a child to play or to explore. Um, a garden, a forest, or a new a new dish. Uh, we don't. So it's a more inviting and more nurturing. And, and then if afterwards I've made something that, I don't know, people want to buy or, or there is a material for a book, then okay. Then the actually the commitment and the devotion to the essence of the artwork comes in, in the sense that it, be, it needs to, the doing comes in. Mm-hmm. But as I'm as I'm uh, evoking the artist within, as I'm inviting the artist within to express, is my being has nothing to do with doing. Right now, how do you you navigate a world like all of us? There's lots of appointments, schedules. You travel, um, uh, or you were traveling. I don't know if you're still traveling with the COVID, but. Um, do you naturally know how to schedule so that you don't crowd out your artists? Mm-hmm. Yes, I've learned that. Um, and I went from, you know, a corporate life where yeah. every minute of my life was scheduled uh, to, um, you know, I don't wear a watch now. Um, I'm more or less always on time. I, As people say, I deliver. <laughs> I deliver. It's not that I've forgotten how to do things. I, I, I know uh, how to do. I have a discipline and uh, it's not that because, you know, I'm an artist, I don't have discipline or uh, um, I don't do the work. I still do. However, I've learned how to nurture myself, how to make space for, for me to be. I get it. Oh my gosh. So, so much of um, what I hear when you use the words a minute ago are showing up. Yeah. 
And that's my favorite. That's what, well, that's what gets me up in the morning is, is the thought that I don't know really what's going to happen. And I know I just need to show up and I want something to show up for. So, um, so that's partly, um, I just love, I just wanted to underline those words that you used. Um, and before we, I mean, I could, I, we can go in so many different directions, but we're coming kind of to the conclusion, but I, is there a question that you would love to be asked by people when you're out there? Is there something that would delight you to be asked that you're usually not asked? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, to be honest, I, 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 I don't know. Um, well, I, sometimes I get tired when people ask me, but how we do this? How do you do this? And how do you do this? I would be like to ask why, why you do it. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, or why we do it. This, those are, I'm more interested in the, the, in the why. I got it. And why we do, we do things. And um, so if somebody would ask me why, why do you why are you so obsessed or this art thing can you please go back and uh uh, to you being a chemist i would say why because if i don't i die if i don't i die what can you what what do you do you have a sense of the future for yourself or do you are you pretty much in the present tense do you have imagine six months from now what you would love to be able to say about your life how about if we just ask you that I don't, I live in the present. I really live in the present and I, I don't have her. I'm done with the five-year plan. I'm done with, uh, you know, the forecast. I'm, uh, and I think this pandemic shows us how arrogant sometimes we as human beings are in thinking that we can plan ahead. And then uh, um, while actually we are asked to pay attention to the present moment, which means being here, now attending to our beings before we can uh, talk about the doing. And I think if we have not learned this during this pandemic, we will be in uh, even more serious trouble. I, I agree. Um, Fatima, what a, what a blast of a time speaking with you. Um, is there something you'd like to read that you haven't read before we close? I'd love to hear some of your words. I, I also looked at the book... Um, Tea of Tibet, which was published back in 2015, I think, somewhere back there. You've got uh, this new book, which um, the poetry of leadership I thought was really excellent. Um, Working with Whisper. Yeah. Is there anything that you would love to put out there before we complete? Uh, well, let's do let's do this. Why don't I open a random page and see him right. <laughs> what comes out? And I read whatever um, it's, uh, it's there. So I'll open. A blank, a a random page. Great. Okay. So here it is. It's actually the the opening of the poetry of leadership. Forget time, remember purpose. Forget money, remember meaning. Forget material things, remember experiences. I couldn't think of a better way to complete this call. We could have another call about some of your other work that you speak about, but let's end there. And let me share with people, um, if you anyone would like to, um, a link to uh, Fatime's books and her websites will be on the podcast post. Um, thank you. And thank you for listening. 
Thank you for having me, Julie. You are a wonderful host. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> it was a blast. Till the next time, Fatima. Till the next time. Well, that's today's podcast of Creative at the Wheel. Before we go, I want to thank you for listening and I invite you to tune in again. You can listen to more of these podcasts on SoundCloud on my Creative at the Wheel channel. You can learn more about my one-on-one coaching for creatives on my website, paintbiglivebig.com.